Hey geeks, welcome to the Initiate Splinter Sequence podcast. We're your hosts, Chin Lin. And Isaac. And we're here to talk about the hit sci-fi time travel show, 12 Monkeys. Created by showrunners Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett. Not to be confused with the 1990s film, 12 Monkeys. This is the TV show. (laughs) This is the first episode of our limited running podcast series, since uh, the show is coming back for its fourth and final season on Friday, June 15th on the Sci-Fi Network. Uh, The first three seasons are currently streaming on Hulu, which is where you can go watch it or rewatch it if you're huge 12 Monkeys fans like we are. Warning, there will be spoilers. Duh. So, if you haven't seen the first three seasons, stop this episode right now and go watch the the first three seasons and then come back. Otherwise, we're just going to ruin everything for you. So, we're going to start by doing our best to recap season three in a short amount of time. So we started season three seeing a pregnant Cassie held hostage in Titan by the uh, 12 monkeys in 2163. And then, you know, she has to give birth to the witness. And later he's transported in this mysterious cradle box back to 1922 with the four horsemen as his guardians. The first episode is also where we see the transporting vests for the first time. They're like little time machines like that you can wear. And it's pretty cool because Cole can kick some butt with those. <laughs> um, yeah. So not only are they personal like time transporting devices, but they're also apparently paradox canceling. And so I kind of feel like the show gets a little bit of a problem with, like, power creep here. They've suddenly introduced this immensely powerful tool that could just fix all the problems instantaneously. So, yeah, it's it's kind of rough, but they, they do end up... It's a good tool for storytelling because Cole and Cassie later break away from the team and they needed a way to travel through time without using Jones's machine. Right, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm a little more upset about their paradox canceling powers. Um the the fight with Cole and himself just it's a cool idea, but man, it it really it allows the show to really start playing fast and loose with paradoxes, which we'll get to later. Oh, we will definitely get to it later, especially with the last episode of season three. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, Let's revisit Ramsey real quick. He was reunited with his son, and his son is now an adult and actually dying on his deathbed. And his son told him that he shouldn't use time to undo his death. And then poor Sam dies, and Ramsey is just heartbroken, and he feels like there's nothing else to live for, really. Which is essentially how Olivia then manipulates him into setting his target for killing Dr. Rayleigh, because she lets, uh, she as in Olivia, lets Ramsey know that the witness is Rayleigh's son. And so he, wanting to... 
essentially avenge his son, um, agrees to target Dr. Riley um, for assassination, essentially. So we also have... Um, so, but then once Ramsey is uh, essentially co-opted by Olivia, Olivia is then, quote-unquote, captured and interrogated. And uh, the interrogation... At the facility. Uh, seems pretty intense. Um, it's an interesting concept where you essentially, like, splinter a person over and over again uh, in and out of existence. Joneses uses this approach to interrogate Olivia to try to get her to talk. And that's not the thing that actually works. And and uh, her daughter Hannah thought it was pretty inhumane for her to do that. Oh, so what apparently works is locking her away in a box like she had been as a child. But we'll see. <laughs> what do you mean by we'll see? I mean, it obviously didn't work. Um, as is evidenced by the end of the season. So once... Once that's happened, uh, the important parts are Deacon and Rayleigh are able to escape from Titan um, with the help of some other guy whose name escapes me at the moment. His name is Malik. Oh, right. Malik. Uh, who essentially nursed Deacon back to health. Uh, and you, the kind of the cool thing about at least that episode was you got to see a lot of like what made Deacon tick through these uh, hallucinations that he had about his father while he was uh, getting healed. Um, so I, I actually, I thought that was a neat piece of storytelling there. Um, sort of a, uh, a character analysis through psychosis. It was, I thought was neat. It was very well done. Yeah. Cause we don't know that much about Deacon. No, I mean, up until that point, he he had just been, like, this kind of evil guy that then turned into a good guy, and, like, you're like, okay, I guess, I mean, shows do this all the time, take an evil guy and make him good, but this, uh, this episode really gives you some insight behind, like, what was going on in his head, and why he might even have that change of heart. Um... So Deacon becomes an ally for the for Jones and company. <laughs> the Splinter Team. The Splint the Project Splinter Team, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um and we'll need to revisit Cole and Ramsey again, especially when they go back in time. Because Ramsey had a goal to kill Cassie. Right. And uh, he essentially thinks he tricks Cole into telling him where Cassie is, but Cole somehow figures out his game and then uh, ends up killing Ramsey. And then in a parallel to the way that uh, Sam died, Ramsey also requests that Cole not try and undo his death by uh, time machine manipulation. And don't forget, Ramsey told Cole about his son. Right. Yes. That is when Cole goes, oh, crap, and kind of turns on... Um, he kind of, he obviously changes his motivation. He doesn't want to kill his own son. And ironically now understands where Ramsey has been coming from this entire time with, you know, no, I care about my son, not about some nebulous 7 billion people that might get saved. Exactly. 
Uh, Cole and Rayleigh, obviously, uh, when they meet up... Oh, did we talk about... Uh, Deacon, yeah, Deacon and Rayleigh were able to get away. Uh, uh-huh. And then uh, they end up in 2047, which is a year later than what's normal for that time. Uh, and they find that the entire facility has been uh, destroyed. And uh, the only way they get back is they find some tethers that they left to themselves in the past, which is actually, I think, a pretty cool thing to do. Future Cole and future Cassie left the tethers for Cassie and Deacon Deacon to go back to... To be able to go back to 2046. Project Splinter, the facility. Yeah. We have to clarify these things because all this jumping back and forth. I love the show, but I really have to think about all the time jumping that we do and get the years straight. <laughs> but um, when Cole and Cassie finally team up or meet up again, they basically go rogue from the team so it's them versus jones and deacon and jennifer and olivia trying to find the witness because by this point he is he's all grown up by the time they get to him because he was he was taken back to 1922 and they were raising him by the time they find him he's all grown up yes yes The rest of the series ends up um, kind of following, spoiler alert, who we thought was the witness, but turns out just to be the son of uh, Cassie and Cole, and not the witness at all. Um, We get to learn more about Ethan in one, two and a half episodes. He shows up at the end of episode eight. He gets a whole episode to himself, episode nine, the episode called Thief. And that's where we learned, oh, he's been using that time traveling vest to go to different points of time and, you know, getting cultured and all that shit. <laughs> right. Learning about himself. And then he gets stuck in London 1899 where he meets a nurse named eliza and they fall in love and she dies unfortunately and he tries to use the he tries to use time travel to undo her death exactly 607 times and every time it doesn't work it drives him crazy crazy to the point where he actually accepts the fact that he should become the witness and try to stop time and, you know, start the Red Forest. Right. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, he doesn't. <laughs> that's a that's a glib way of putting it. No, he... Uh, there's so many things I want to talk about uh, that happen in, in this, this part of the season. Um, he was fighting his destiny. And then it wasn't until he gave up on saving Eliza that he was like, oh, yeah, I guess I will accept this destiny of mine now. Right. And I have no problems with that. And I have no problems with the resolution, which was essentially he talked to his mommy and she told him, yeah, time sucks. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, she said, she said, we're just fighting the clock. Um, Yeah. No, uh... I mean, that actually, so that particular conversation that you just referenced was when he, uh, 
he met her and trying to save uh, Eliza. But the conversation I was talking about is when, um, after he had accepted that he was going to become the witness and Cole and Cassie drug him to 1959 to their house. Um, and that's when Cassie sort of explained to him, like, yeah, the universe kind of sucks sometimes. And that essentially changed his mind. Uh, he had a real, like, it was a very quick change of heart. Uh, so quick, so that, for me at least, it seemed a little uncharacteristic for any human being uh, until, like, rewatching and really, like, thinking about, like, what was going through his mind and what conversations he was having. Because at first, to me, I thought, oh, why, like, he... Can he, you clarify the scene real quick? So, sure. Um, he was conversing with Olivia, who had drank the red tea. Was well, it red tea? Yeah, yeah. Well, before that. He's he's talking to um, he's talking to Cole and Cassie and uh, essentially telling them that he is ready to become the witness and uh, they might as well kill him now or just let him do it, but he's, like, essentially done with life. Um, and they don't really seem to be getting through to him. Uh, and then Olivia, uh, drinks the red tea, uh, in the future and, um, essentially asks him where they are, uh, and when they are. Uh, and, uh, Ethan replies and right after he replies, he immediately seems to have this change of heart where he's like, oh no, they're coming to kill you now. And I don't know, to me that just, that seemed like too big of a, a swing. In it such was a very, short... it was very quick. Yeah, because Jones and Hannah and Deacon, they show up immediately to shoot at the house. And they have this showdown. And like, I mean, it was basically all for nothing, really. Because in the end, you know, like, they, Malik and the other 12 monkeys, guards, warriors, whatever you want to call them, they show up and they take them to Titan. Because Titan shows up behind the house. Right. And Malik is basically taking them to meet their new leader. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, it I came in just when Pallid Man was stabbed and he falls on the floor. Uh, but you're missing a, a key part of that scene where uh, Ethan was shot right as his vest was. Uh, oh damn! Time How did I forget that. Yeah. It was time traveling and about to be uh, disintegrated at the same time. Um, and so something that's nice here is that it actually brings back full circle these visions that uh, Jennifer has been having. Of the dying man. Of this dying man, and it turns out it's Ethan, and... She had to be in that mausoleum in London in 2017 so she could save him and nurse him back to health. Right. Um, which then allows him to do exactly what you would expect him to do, which is arrive right back where he had just left from uh, as a shot person and now fully healed, and uh, 
just after Olivia has made this grand speech of, you know, I'm taking over, he starts to, you know, lay waste to the place and murder all these uh, witness followers. Um, but in the ensuing brouhaha of trying to get Cole and a stabbed Jones and Cassie out of Titan, um, he ends up essentially sacrificing himself by holding off the rest of Malik and his uh, team while everyone else escapes. Um, and this is where I have a problem with how the show is playing fast and loose with paradoxes because Cassie's been carrying around, like, during this chase, she, she's been carrying around, like, these two exact same copies of a watch just, like, on her person, and I'm like, no, she should be exploding. What, like, these watches are too close to each other. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, and then, in, I mean, if you were to argue that the watches were uh, somehow in, in some sort of field that nullified paradoxes, okay, cool. But then she then uses the watches to create a paradox to escape. So I feel like that kind of, that argument kind of falls flat too. Um, but otherwise, you know, they, they get, a, everyone gets away except for Ethan who ends up in his, uh, chamber of secrets. No. Um, <laughs> are you getting your relics. fandoms mixed up? <laughs> chamber of relics from his life with Olivia. And then, uh, there's a super cool reveal that, uh, he gives to Olivia that she is in fact a witness and he is not um, because he knows he can't be the cold callous uh, person that is necessary to be the witness. Uh, and then essentially taunts her by telling her that she's going to lose because she's alone. And then she slits his throat with a katar. Um, and that's that's it for Ethan. He's, he's dead, so. He's dead, but he did serve his purpose. Right. Like, in the end, he he had to be the fake witness to hide, or, or for Olivia to hide behind. He was born to basically be this religion for Olivia in the end, right? Yeah, which is why Olivia didn't reveal herself to herself until the end. Her future self <laughs> to her present self? Yeah. Yeah. She, she never revealed herself in the red tea world, as for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, until, the, until the end because she, uh, she had to, everything had to happen in this way for her to get to where she is now. Uh, it's a whole causality chain of ridiculousness. Um, I think it's cool that she ended up being the witness because this whole time everyone's just assumed that a witness was a man. Which I think is really why she reacted the way she reacted is that she's just now realized she was fighting against herself this entire time. And not only that, she now has to orchestrate all the bullshit that, <laughs> <laughs> that she witnessed. Because she was there and she witnessed it. Now she's got to remember it all and go, 
right, how did that happen? Okay, so this is what has to happen exactly this way. And that's got to feel like a very daunting task now that she realizes it's on her shoulders. And she's not primary. She's a person in her mind. Well, she's got, like, super strength. Also that. Um, so she has she has something. She, she does have powers, that's true. Yeah. And then we had a short scene at the very end of season three where um, we're back in 2015. Young Cole is with his dad in a trailer. And his dad is reading him a story and a little note comes out of it. And the note says... There once was a serpent who traveled one direction, always forward, never backward, until one day the serpent came upon a demon. And then young Cole is like, what does it mean? His dad doesn't know because he didn't write it. It turned out Cole's mom wrote it. So we obviously we left season three on a cliffhanger. So now we've got all these questions about what's going to happen in season four. And obviously, who is Cole's mom? How does she play into this whole thing? Have we met her before? Is she going to be a new character? All that good stuff. So I suppose that's really what this podcast is supposed to be about. Ha ha. Very funny. (laughs) Okay. We we didn't really plan this through, but it's our first episode, so forgive us. (laughs) In the recap, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, and it's driven me nuts several times in this series. Say it, say it! They... They have things... They treat the past like it's happening concurrently in the future. So they're like, oh, they just traveled. And I'm like, no, they had already traveled. That has already happened. It is in the past. You should not be reacting like it's just now happening. It has already happened. But they do that a lot, and it so to elaborate for some of our listeners who might need more elaboration, because I needed it when he first told me. Um, so let Project Splinter, Jones sends Cole to year X, and then they're following his temporal signature? Yeah. Yeah, signal, signature, whatever. And he's like, oh, he jumped to another time Right. So, for example, when when they were tracking the vest that they could track, they were like, "Oh, they, they, uh, we know they just jumped." And I'm like, "What? No, they they had jumped years ago, hundreds of well, 150 years ago, back in 1899. Like they you they had already done that. That had already been a thing. That information should have been available to you as soon as you knew the tracking signature of the vest." There's no reason that it would be hidden from you until, like, just this instant. Like, as soon as you knew the tracking signature of the vest, you should have been able to track all times in the past that it had jumped. There's no reason that you should not be able to. Yes, but you're bringing logic into this. <laughs> well, because there needs to be suspense as the watcher, as the audience, you know? Sure, but I don't like this device for suspense. Well, okay. How do you think the device should have been? Uh, I, you can have, you can have suspense in, uh, even if you know when 
they were jumping and where they were jumping, there can still be suspense in you trying to catch them because you don't know exactly what they're doing at the time, right? If you happen to catch them on the toilet, great. If you happen to catch them <laughs> while they're like on a firing range, not so great, right? So it there's plenty of opportunity to have suspense in a chase or... Um, in a chase that's happening in the same time, but there's no reason, like, the other thing, this ties into the same thing, the other thing that gets me is they, they seem to wait around for things in the past to happen, like, um, they send Cole to the past, and they're, like, sitting around for hours waiting for him to come back to the future, I'm like, no, he should be back instantaneously, there's no reason he would come back hours later or months later he should just come back to the time almost exactly after he left <laughs> like there's no reason that you have to wait around for that i don't i don't get what that's for are you done ranting about yes, that I'm, I'm <laughs> so back to season four predictions um, we think Cole's mom has something to do with Jennifer because she drew out that ser- serpent drawing. It's called an Ouroboros. An Ouroboros. Yeah. Is it, that Latin? I, uh, I don't know the origin. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's usually a, a serpent and sometimes a dragon, but very rarely a dragon eating its own tail. Uh, it's used to represent infinity or continuums. Okay. And it's... Jennifer drew it around the the monkey. And those of you that are familiar with the Wheel of Time series would recognize it as the symbol of the Aes Sedai. I don't know if our audience is... They might be readers. You don't know. <laughs> I didn't say they weren't readers. It's a very popular book series. I never read it. I used to read lots of books. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Moving on. Um, okay. So we're also thinking, like, my question for season four is, what the fuck is going to happen in the series finale? Like, is the team finally going to be able to break out of this cycle that they're in? Because if we just fulfill the cycle, fulfill the loop, you know, where Cassie basically dies at the CDC and leaves a message for Cole to find. Cole and Jones to find. Like, there's... That would be a shitty ending. Right. And so, okay. Listening to interviews with the showrunner on this, that will still happen, but not exactly the way that we saw it. They have demonstrated in the past that they are able to change the future. So they were able to push back the release of the plague till 2018, right? That's right. So Cassie doesn't die in 2017 anymore. She dies. Oh. She dies later. She'll die later, but pro- still the same message. In this, yes. Yeah. Right. So the loop that we're in is going to be different than the loop that we saw. Good reminder. But not necessarily, so it's not necessarily the same, or it'll be the same, but it's going to be different. Um, So, I don't know, the Ouroboros kind of indicates that, yes, they're going to give us that crappy ending where nothing changes. Um, Their their demonstration that they can, in fact, change the future 
by changing the past indicates that we won't get the crappy ending. One thing that I've been sort of remiss about that they haven't touched on in two seasons was um, the that source of the virus that was in the night room in season one it seemed to be heavily indicated that that might be coal. And I was very afraid that they had forgotten about it because I thought that would have been a good tie-in, that coal was the source of the virus. Um, well, that does make sense because he was immune. Right. In the future. Yeah. And so he could have been a carrier. Um, and that's essentially what I hoped they were going for. Um, but it, it, for two seasons, they had just kind of like not mentioned it. But the showrunner has um, has said that they haven't forgotten about it and it will be in season four. So they will tie up that loose end. And that does make me happy. I'm, I'm very, now, I'm very enthusiastic about season four. Whether or not it's actually coal or something completely different, we don't know. But I mean, that's that's my theory. I think that's a lot of people's theory. But uh that, that is yet to be revealed, but they have not forgotten about it. So if you're a fan of the show and you're wondering, like, are they going to talk? Are are they just going to leave that out? No, they, they are going to touch on it again. Mm. I don't have this in our notes, but, like, obviously Olivia is going to be our main villain in season four. Yes, most likely. And, I mean, we have this stereotype situation where... Okay, so is the villain going to die? Are we going to see Olivia die? Well, so that kind of depends on your definition of die, right? So in my ideal ending for the show, the whole future is non-existent. So Olivia doesn't exist anymore. Like Nothing exists anymore. It's all the Red Forest. No. <laughs> no, I, that, that would be also a bad ending, but... That'd be a cop out. A very unsur like a very surprising ending, I think. Not unsurprising, very surprising. I, I would be surprised if they just let the witness win. Like, yep, that's it. Game over, guys. Red Forest, we're done. Uh no, I think uh I think the most satisfying ending to me would be that um the mission that they all set out to create in the beginning makes almost all of the events of the show never take place. In the final loop. I like that. Right. So, like, the stuff that happened um, before 2015 still happens unless it required time travel. In which case, it no longer happens. Um, do I think they're going to go that route? I, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Uh, they'll probably go with something more... Um, I don't know, about time being able to heal itself. Heal itself? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not unprecedented. So that's like the, the watch. Um, uh, I think it was Cassie's watch uh, no longer being scratched. Like it, it, because it had to be not scratched so that Cole could find it and have it not be scratched. This is one of those times where I get headaches thinking about the show, but in a good way. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm super pumped for season four. Like, 
I didn't read the reviews, but, like, you know, the headlines you'll see on social media, apparently it's going to be, like, mind-blowing. And, um, I saw a teaser. I saw, like, two teaser trailers, and, like, they're going to be jumping a lot again. And they're going to go as far back as, like, the medieval times. I don't remember the exact year. So that's going to look strange if they're still using the vests. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think it's cool that the story's going to go back that far in time. I mean, uh, if you think about it, wherever they got that source of the virus in the Himalayas, like, that had to be, that was a very long time ago. So I think, I think you're going to have to go back really far in time. And so that's not surprising to me. What would be surprising to me is that People walking around with the lights on their chests weren't written about in historical accounts. Like, this happened in season three, obviously. How were they walking around late uh, 19th century London and no one was like, what is that guy with lights on his chest? How is that happening? Like, how was that not written about? That, that kind of stuff. Kind of gets me. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, I think, I think since it's last season and we're very, very sad that it's ending, but I think it's a good thing that it's ending because a lot of shows have this tendency where they're dragged out over, over four seasons and the storylines just get ridiculous. So I think ending at season four is a good choice. And we're wrapping, they know, they knew last year that they were going to wrap everything up in these last 11 episodes. And I was just thinking about, like, the significance of uh, 12 Monkeys on just, like, time travel shows in general. Because we don't have too much of them. I mean, there's time travel in a lot of shows, but no, there's not a a whole lot of time travel based shows. That's what I meant. There's not a lot of time travel based shows. Like there's one on Netflix. I I think it's called Travelers. I I think it's called Travelers. Um I watched like two episodes a long time ago and I couldn't really get into it. Like I mean, there's not there's not a whole ton out there is what I'm saying. I was like, there's obviously Doctor Who. Oh right, Doctor Who. Sorry guys, I'm not a Whovian. <laughs> this guy is though. <laughs> but um yeah, I think 12 Monkeys is a really good show. Very well written, well done. And it I, I think it sets the bar high for maybe future time travel based shows. I don't think there's a whole lot of discontinuities, but obviously Isaac has complained about his stuff already. Yeah, I'm obviously not quite as impressed. Oh, but you're going to be a host for the rest of this podcast series. <laughs> yeah, that's fine now. Oh, well, yeah, we're just super, I'm super excited. He's, I'm mildly excited. He's mildly excited. (laughs) All right, Uh, guys. Uh, Thanks for listening. 12 Monkeys season four premieres Friday, June 15th on the Sci-Fi Network. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at geekgals.co. We are also on Twitter at geekgalsco, no dot there. And we're happy to take questions. You can email us at contact at geekgales.co.
Until next time. 